0: Forgot my microphone back in my seat, so I had to make a trip back. Otherwise, it wouldn't have gone as well as it just did. So, uh, good to be with all of you today. Uh, good to have everyone that's watching online. Uh, today we're going to continue in our series uh, in the book of Acts, and the series is entitled "Unfinished: The Church on Purpose." And you know, as we uh, begin today, you know, I'm excited about going back outside. Hopefully, you guys are as well. Um, it does look pretty nice. Like Pastor Tony said, I see some pretty good shade spots. I think most people will be covered, and those that want to be in the sun can grab some sun. So I think it'll, it'll kind of fit everybody. Uh, anybody looking forward to that? Anyone not going to come? Anyone not going to come? Were you bold enough to raise your hand? Okay, just wanted to check. So I'm going to hold all of you to it. Now, now you're on record. No, just kidding. Uh, it's, it's, I hope you will come. I think it's great. If you were here last year, I think we, again, not by choice, we kind of stumbled into that through everything with all the shutdowns and everything, but we really, I think, enjoy just sort of being outside and enjoyed the, the campus that we have here. It's just so beautiful and the weather, and it looks like we're timing it just right as summer's coming in next weekend, so we should have a, a great uh, time out there. So hopefully you'll be and do bring your own chair, and we'll have a, a great time. As we think about that, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, so if you have your Bibles, you can start moving there. But as we go outside, I, I want you to do something with me, and I hope you'll participate. Um, I notice that as I get older, my imagination, it becomes like harder to to kind of imagine and dream things. Um, I sit down with, with Legos with my kids now, and I'm lucky to like build a square, you know, my, my son builds like a cappuccino machine or something out of Legos. And I'm sitting there just trying to like put these things together. They just, I remember when I was a kid, I used to build, you know, flying cars and all this other kind of stuff. And I mean, does anybody relate? As you get older, you kind of lose that sort of just imagination that comes when you're when you're a child. But I want you to do your best with me today and think about next week. All right. Think about next week as we go outside and the breeze is blowing, and the trees are swaying, and we're all sitting out there, and the birds chirping, and and everything else, and myself or Pastor Tony are preaching an amazing message, right, which will happen. Um, and as we're doing that, imagine, you know, as in the service, you know, at some point, like, one or two people kind of are walking by, and they decide to come in and sit down, right? And a little while longer, maybe a group of like 10 or 15 people are walking by, and like, hey, you know, this seems kind of neat. Well, they'll come in and sit down, and And slowly we begin to start filling up with people, right? People start coming by, and they're stopping, they're sitting down, and pretty soon we estimate, you know, in this area out here, we can seat probably comfortably maybe 300 people. Let's say we pack it in, you know, we get like 500 people sitting there, right? But they keep coming, right? They keep coming. And pretty soon, then the park back over here, that starts to fill up, and pretty soon we have, you know, 3,000 people. Can you kind of picture that in your mind, what that might look like? It's quite a few people, right? And, you know, what we're going to look at today in this scene we're going to look at today, there was a minimum of 3,000. It was probably much higher than that, probably five, eight, maybe even 10,000 people. But just imagine how amazing that would be, to have that many people show up at our service outdoors. Imagine when we come back inside, you know, and you'd have about 10 services probably to choose from to attend as we're you know, having to stack those all in to be able to house all of those people. And, you know, as we think about that, and as we think about, as we're going to see today, Peter stands up and he, he delivers the first message of the, the, the early church. You know, of course, Jesus preached and everything when he walked the earth. But, but as, as Peter stands up, he's going to preach this message. And it's not just 3,000 people coming and are in attendance, but 3,000 people actually come to Christ, they actually are, you know, receive salvation in that moment. And can you imagine, you know, I think, I forget, maybe Jesse, if you can help me out. You don't need to. You can just sit there and smile and just nod. But it, I think they say, like, for the main fest, the big fest, how many people is it? That's, that's what I said earlier. I was, okay, I was scared this time because you were here. But, um, but 30, about 30,000 people can come out on a weekend for, like, Strawberry Fest. So 3,000, you're at, what is the math, 10%, right? So imagine if just 10% of those 30,000 people were to come through our service, give their lives to Christ. I mean, 3,000 people were added in one day, in one moment. Isn't that just, you know, it's good to just stop and think about that for a minute, isn't it? What that must be like, what that must have done for the church, the early church, as they're starting out with just those handful of people. And so that's the setting we're going to see today. That's the setting, that's the moment we're going to see today. And as Peter stands up and he, he begins to deliver this message, we realize as we walk through this today, we're going to see that his message is the same message for us today, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is here and present through the, the, the Holy Spirit, and that you can receive him today. And that is, that is the message, and the great thing is that message hasn't changed, has it? That is the good news, that's the hope for everyone that hears the gospel, is that Jesus is alive, present, and you can receive him in your life today. And so today as we begin and and as we look at this this first recorded sermon of the church, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a snapshot about the book of Acts, it has some 15 to 19 sermon speeches or talks throughout it, depending on you know, if one's connected to another, how you count it. But there's, you know, 15 to 19 of these, these moments or these, these kind of big events or something happening where someone's speaking for an extended period of time. Peter alone has eight recorded sermons in the book of Acts. And of the approximate 1,000 verses in Acts, around 300 verses are these, these speeches or these, these sermons. And as we know, as we've talked and touched on, you know, with with Luke being a physician, being very precise in his writing, what he chooses to to put in, we need to pay attention to what is written here, don't we? Because it's it's, it's very important and it's critical. And, you know, Luke, we see, rarely gives us uh, all the sermons in their entirety. You know, if you can imagine, if somebody were to write word for word one of my sermons or one of my messages, how long that would be. You know, probably none of you would read that, right? Most of you hopefully, hopefully listen to it, but um, mo- no, most anybody would not read something that long. And, and so what we see is that Luke is kind of, will snapshot things and kind of get the summary version, um, you know, for us. And so that's, that's good. And so now we kind of can see the scene here that's that what's happening. If you remember last week, if you were here, if you listened to the message, we remember that everyone had traveled to Jerusalem for the festival that they were, there was many Jews present in Jerusalem at this time as uh, the, the day of Pentecost took place, when the Holy Spirit arrived. And so now uh, there's going to be this response. We kind of, the cliffhanger is sort of from last week, you know, what was the response going to be? And that's what we're going to be looking at today as, as these people heard in their native language, their native tongue... Uh, the great things and the uh, amazing things of God. And so that's going to be, as we jump in here, in verse 14 of chapter 2, will be Peter's response. To back up just a touch, though, in verse 12, let's let's just kind of pick up there as we roll into this. And it says that, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And that's the question kind of in our minds say, What does this mean? What, what was all of this pointing to? And we go on in verse 13, it says, But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Now, I think most people here understand that the wine that we drink today is typically not new. Anybody ever had new wine before? Right? Not just opened. Wine has to do what? It has to age, right? It gets better with time, just like us. Just like our marriages. Amen? Everybody said amen? Right? Just gets better with time. You can nudge your spouse and just say, remember that. So, you know, and that's what's, what happens with wine. We don't drink it when it's freshly bottled. It would not be a pleasurable experience. It would be highly uh, a high content of alcohol, and it would not probably be the, the best. But here, again, we see the, the people think they must be drunk because it's, 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 like, late morning. And they're like, that must be the explanation. But we're going to see here now Peter stand up and address the crowd. And so in verse 14, we jump in. But Peter, standing with the eleven... Lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now here comes a phrase that I want you to pay attention to. Because there's gonna be, Peter's gonna, we're gonna break this down into like three, three or four chunks, if you will, and he's gonna address the crowd differently as we move forward. And I want you to pay attention to, to how it progresses. And so he starts with this phrase here: men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. So it's a pretty broad statement, right? It's a pretty broad group of people who, the people who are dwelling, the men of Judea, and it's, it's pretty, um, how do you say, it's not a very intimate greeting, is it? It's just something like, hey, crowd of people, listen to what I'm saying. And so he goes on, he says, Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Verse 16, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, again, if you recall, Peter had the privilege of, of being around Jesus for you know, around three years, watching and learning. And so we see very quickly this amazing thing that Peter's doing. He's going to go to meet the people where they are. He's going to reach back to the Old Testament where these people would understand. All of these people would be familiar, especially if they'd make, made the journey for this festival and he's going to reach back and he's going to start where they're at, and he's going to begin to build, kind of the case, if you will, as he moves forward. And so he recites from, from the prophet Joel in verse 17, "And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out, and again, think of that those two words as we go forward, too, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this time today. Lord, I thank you, as, as, as we've already heard, Lord, that we pray that your word will truly cut to the very heart of our being today. God, I pray that your word, as it's promised, it is living, it is active, and God, it is, it is on the move. And God, I thank you that we leave this place today God, not just having heard a good message or or, or had just a moment here, but, God, that it would lead us to change, that it would lead us to action. And so, God, that is our prayer today. God, we pray that you'll just have your way in this service and through this time. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And so, again, so, you know, as we look at this, this beginning, this passage as we've, we've jumped in, you know, we have that phrase, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. And it's a broad statement, and we are going to come back to that soon, but just keep that here in your mind. You know, as I mentioned, you know, Peter understands his audience. He's going to work from the Old Testament as Jesus always did. And, you know, if I can kind of just take a sidestep here for a moment, really today, as, as we, the, the world that we live in, I think there's something to be learned here in the sense of we have to begin to to really take time to learn about other people, the people that we're speaking to. How do you learn about someone? Listen, right? Two of you were listening when I asked that question and answered. We need to learn to listen better, don't we? Does anybody agree? You know, I don't know about you, but... I can be quick to speak. I, can, I want to jump in. I've got my things that I want to say. You know, I've met a few people in this life that, that are great listeners, you know. Doesn't it make you feel good when somebody's listening? They're smiling. They're nodding. They can repeat something. They ask you another question, like a probing question about what you're sharing. And it's just like, wow, this person really cares about me. They're really trying to understand me. And understand, and I, I think everybody in this room is understanding very clearly, the times that we're living in today are very different from probably when most of us were kids. I know that when I was young, everybody that I went to school with typically went to church. Okay, everybody grew up in the church. And so you could, I could bring up the story of of Noah or of Moses, right? And you had kind of a comment, you're like, oh yeah, I know that story. Today you can't do that as much. Today, really, so many, we have a generation that's really truly been raised for the most part outside of the church. And so you're starting at a much different place than you were, say, 20, 30 years ago. And it's something to understand that when we want to share the good news with somebody, we want to share the gospel with somebody, we have to understand where they're coming from. That means we have to take time to listen to get to know them, to, to realize where it is that they're working from, just like Luke is doing here, and how do we build that bridge back to help them to walk in and understand? And so that's something I think that we can take from this. Um, you know, in verse 17 there, if, if you still have your, your Bibles there, the emphasis there. And, and I've heard messages and sermons preached on, you know, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men see visions, old men see dreams. And people want to, you know, dissect and, well, the prophecy's here, the visions are there, the dreams are there. But I don't want to focus on that so much today Is I want to focus on who gets what. Or I'm sorry, I don't want to focus on as much as who's getting what versus that every who is getting the what. Did that make perfect sense to all of you? Just checking. It's almost like a riddle. But my point is that every single person that's mentioned, notice who, who, the groups of people. You have young men. You have sons and daughters. You have male servants, female servants, old men. You have all of these people, and they're all receiving something. Now, go back again. Remember where we're dealing with the culture, the day and the time that we're dealing with, where young people were kind of a, a lesser than, if you will. Where it's also a culture where women were, were sort of a, a, a lesser than, and they weren't entitled to the same things. That, that the men were. And here, the spirit, though, is saying that it's going to be poured out on all people. There's no longer, again, in that culture, there was a sort of a pecking order, if you will. There was, there was you know, people that were high society, that were respected and had the clout, and they got kind of the good things. And then, But the, can you imagine the servants, what they got? They got nothing, right? They got or next to nothing. Because they weren't entitled to that in that culture. But here, the Spirit of God is being poured out on everyone, regardless of who they were or what their status was. Imagine, again, I'm using your imaginations today. Imagine that um, I came up here today, and I said, hey, everyone, please follow me outside. We're going to go out to the parking lot. We walk out to the parking lot, and there's a line of new cars, right? Brand new cars, and I have this big bucket of keys and I said, hey, just for coming out to service today, we're going to give you a brand new car. It's, I'm going to give you a brand new car. And the husband gets one, wife gets one. Everyone is going to get a brand new car. The first question you should say is, how does a pastor afford that, first of all? Like, that would be your first question. Um, but no, you would, and, and as we started to hand out the keys, you know, so, you know whoever, I mean, Brad, Here's, here's the keys to a brand new car, right? Go, oh, thanks, Pastor. Oh, that's great. And you start going to your new car. And I go down the, you know, whatever it is. What do you drive? Not a Volvo. Like a Lamborghini or something, right? Okay, Porsche? All right, Porsche. So he's, he gets his Porsche, right? And we start going down the line. You know, I'm handing out keys to everybody. And, um, and so we get down the line, and everybody gets their new car, right? I look around there. There's different people in this room. There's different ages. There's different Everything. You know, but everybody would receive this this new car, and I don't think anyone would complain or point to the other person because you you got the new car, right? Regardless of who you were, and, and did you bring anything to get that new car? No. It wasn't like you know you get this car and you get this you know, bicycle, you know, because of who you are or something. No, everybody's getting these brand new cars. And here, you know, we see again the Spirit of God is being poured out irregardless of what their status was, irregardless of who they were. And so Peter is making the point here that, that what they were seeing and what was happening and hearing was the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had foretold. It was not because of you know, they were drunk or something crazy going on. It was a fulfillment of something. It was a continuation of the Old Testament, right? This wasn't any new religion. This was a, a fulfillment of what had been promised long before. You see, he's getting through to them that this isn't something out of the blue, but that it is a continuation of what they already knew to be true. It just hadn't become a revelation to them. And so now, as we go forward, we're going to see Peter walk them in, step by step to the fact that Jesus, and we're going to see this this come out too in his message, that the one that they had crucified was truly the promised Messiah. You see, the Holy Spirit's arrival was all part of God's plan, wasn't it? Right? That's what we're talking about, is the pouring out of God's Spirit. So what happened to trigger that event to to, to take place? Or should I, a better question is who happened? Jesus, right? This is what Peter's getting at. He's trying to get them to see something must have taken place because the Spirit now has been poured out. The Spirit has now been poured out. And so he's, again, he's, he's beginning to get the gears rolling, beginning to get them moving. And so he's going to begin now in verse 22 with what Jesus did. So if you jump in on verse 22, and here comes a new phrase. We've gone from men of Judea now to what? Men of Israel. So you see how he's kind of made that a little more intimate. He's now, you know, God's chosen people. He's, he's brought that in a little bit tighter. And he says this, hear these words. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Again, so he's building who Jesus was, right? He's starting to say, look, it's all lining up. This was who Jesus was and is. And now notice his next phrase. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, I don't know about you. If I was standing in front of thousands of people, especially during that time where it was nothing to have a knife or you know, a sword and you know, somebody get upset with you, here's the boldness that you crucified Jesus. And he goes on in verse 24, he says, God raised him. Up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now again, notice what he's doing. He talked about Joel. Now he's talking about David. And again, David's like top dog amongst Jews. This is like, they know who David is. They know the lineage, the the Messiah is coming through him. So they understand this. And and so he goes on and he says, quoting from David, what David says. And he says this, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand That I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Isn't that sort of a snapshot of the scene we're seeing? (laughs) These people think that they're drunk. They're obviously, you know, probably in a pretty good mood. And so, again, he's beginning to just, the blinders are starting to come off. And he starts with this men of Israel phrase. And then this question, you know, who crucified Jesus? And Peter tells them to their face that they were the ones responsible for crucifying Jesus. Now, I'm going to turn it on a much smaller scale, but did you know that all of us in this room and all of you watching online, did you know that we crucified Jesus? It was our sin that crucified Jesus. Now, imagine this, this crowd who is right there fresh on the heels of, of this event and being told you're the one that crucified the Messiah. How would you take that? She'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. That's that's me. Would you kind of roll with it like that, or would there be a little more, I don't really like what you're implying here, right? I don't, I wasn't even there. (laughs) And some of them maybe were there, but a lot of these people probably weren't. But here's Peter is in in boldness, emboldened by the, the Holy Spirit, kind of right down the pipe at them, you crucified Jesus. so Peter, again, as he unpacks this and re- referring back to David, he just, he's, it's brilliant that he's bringing David into the picture because, again, he's, he's leading the people to a place. And we're going to see where, where, where it all ends up. And so, again, so he unpacks this a little bit, what Jesus did. He's, he's going back, unpacking what Jesus did, kind of going down the pipe that you're the ones that crucified him. And then he moves on to who Jesus was and is in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. And now look at what he starts with here. We've gone from men of Judea to men of Israel, and now he starts with this. We're going to Look at that first word. What does he say? Brothers. Now, if you think about what that means. A friend of my a friends here today, good to, he came up and he gave me a hug over here. You know, during the worship service when we were singing, we both were prior service. There's a couple of service guys in the back, and we're we've never served together, but we're brothers, brothers in arms because we've we've we have that commonality, and it's amazing. Even the people that I have served with that, that I even barely knew back when I was in, even on when we connect online or something, it's always brother It's brother. There's a, there's a closeness, and what does that mean? There's a, there's an equal equality. It doesn't matter what you did or what you do now. You're still brothers. And Peter here is, is making this significant statement that we're brothers. What does that mean? I'm, I'm guilty too. I crucified Jesus too. We've touched on this before with Peter, you know. You know, I mean, if you remember him and his life, was he right there and standing next to Jesus the whole time? And like I'm going down with a ship, and he was up there on the cross with is that how it went down with Peter? <laughs> no, he ran. He fled, and his sin crucified Jesus. And so he's coming down to this place now. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. And so he starts this phrase now, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. So he's giving validation now to the disciples, to to all the ones that were gathered there. We, We saw this with our own eyes. He appeared to us. Verse thirty six. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that here it comes. God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, one more time for good measure, whom you crucified. There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a ton there, and again, Peter is 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 bringing this to, to full view right in front of them, and for the second time here. You know, we are told that the Spirit is being is poured out. And so the Spirit transitions here at Pentecost, if you remember, from visiting believers occasionally to staying on and in believers' lives continually. As we touched on last week, if you remember, as tongues of fire, right, did it show up in one place at just one spot, or was it over each person? This is the first time that we've seen the Holy Spirit, the the, the Spirit of God, on each person individually. And so Peter, once again, brings that ownership to his audience. Now, just pause here for a moment, and again, just picture that scene. It pictures Peter's words kind of just hanging in the, the echo there for a moment probably the hush that's over the crowd is their guilt, their shame, their responsibility in the crucifixion of the Messiah as its full weight kind of comes on their shoulders. And to me, I don't know that the response is what, what we're going to see. In my mind, I would think people would be more angry and upset and more of a mob, right? But what's the difference? The Spirit of God is upon Peter. The Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God is moving amongst the people and amongst the crowd in a way that's beyond, because obviously we know Peter was probably not the most eloquent person, but when he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's a whole different game now, isn't it? And so now, let's move into verse 37. This first line, here it comes. He says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You see, when the power of God is on his word upon a person, and we, we ask for God's spirit to be on us, to be present with us, to be poured out on us, That's, that's my hope is that that is our prayer as a church. And when we are in that place... This is what happens. These people could have hardened hearts. They could have said, no way, you're crazy. I, didn't, I wasn't even there. Who are you to tell me <laughs> that I'm the one that crucified Jesus? Was that the response? No. It says it cut to the heart of them. It cut past their walls or the barriers or what, their pride or whatever it was to the heart of them and shook them to their core. As we go on, it says, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. And here's this word, brothers. And this is their response. As a pastor, this is what I would love to hear from a congregation. When you preach a message and people are so broken because they see it so clearly that they need God in their lives, that they need to change, that they need to be different, and to say, what shall we do? What shall we do? When was the, the last time in a, in a, in a, after a sermon you said, what do I need to do to, to be different here? What shall I do to, to make a change? How should I leave these doors and not go out and do the same exact thing as I did last week? How does, how does this change for me? And the greeting from the crowd of brothers, recognizing that we are brothers, what shall we do? And here's Peter's response. And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not very complicated, is it? Sometimes it's not easy, (laughs) because to repent, we've got to recognize and admit to sin in our lives. But here is Peter's answer. And he goes on in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And that should encourage somebody here today. If you're praying for that loved one that's far off, this message is for them today. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, which is showing us, you know, there was a much longer probably message given here. And he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. That's a great membership class right there, right? It's like <laughs> but they weren't added to just, you know, a little church. They were added to the church. 3,000 souls accepted Christ that day. You see, God has given us each a gift He's given us a conscience. We have this this inner voice within us that God has given us. And it can either accuse us or excuse us, right? As we think about things or as we do things, our conscience is always at work. Unfortunately, though, our conscience a lot of times are much like the thermostat in our home where we can start to bring it down and make it a little cooler, Bring it a little lower. Or we can make it warmer and and heat it up a little bit. And, you know, I think as we engage our culture, if we're not careful, I think our conscience can continually be adjusted downward in small increments. If we do not stay in the word of God, if we do not stay engaged with God in prayer and know exactly where our thermostat should be set, so to speak, it's very easy easy to look at you know this person's thermostat next to us, and they're like, "Look at all the money I'm saving!" But I just turn my conscience down, right? And oh yeah, I could follow that. I can, I could let that part go. I guess it's not a big deal, and we just can kind of creep creep down. How many here would agree that not everyone's conscience is in the same place? <laughs> Have you seen what's happening in the world? Right? It's crazy, and so we need somebody we need god to show us where our conscience so to speak needs to be set but the scary part is that there's small subtle changes that can even go unnoticed by us right if we're not constantly coming back to god's word and saying where do i where should i be cuz it's interesting this is how sin works right that first time we feel really bad it's like really it wrecks us but have you ever noticed like how whatever sin that is, as you do it over and over and over, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And it can be anything. I'm not talking about, you know, I don't think most people in here are going to go out and, you know, kill somebody. But it's those subtle sins, right? Those things that don't really hurt anybody, that don't really affect somebody. It's, it's not a big deal. And we can just kind of do that and then, okay, well, let's do it again. And it just becomes this, this cycle or this, this pattern. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, there's a divine presence that cross-examines our conscience. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes in and says, no, this, is, this setting is wrong. And that's what we saw, the response from the crowd here. In, the, in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, it says this, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and convicts us of our sin. Now, again, the Holy Spirit will not condemn us. That's not something you listen to. There's no condemnation to those who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there is conviction, and we can be thankful for that. The question is, is how will you respond? You see, conviction of sin has to happen before you can ever find Jesus' salvation, the, the real Salvation that comes through Christ. Can I just say today, church, that I, I think in a lot of places, in a lot of churches, let me I not say that. I me not use that. I use that some, maybe too much, but I don't know if you've ever been to like a big rally of some kind or, you know, whether it's for men, like the Promise Keepers or maybe it was a youth rally or a women's, you know, rally or whatever. And, you know, they open up the altar, right, for salvation, and just hundreds and hundreds of people just thronged to the altar, right? They say a prayer, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and there's just this powerful, powerful moment. I don't, I don't recall exactly, it wasn't Charles Spurgeon, it was, it was one of the other kind of great preachers. Anyway, one point somebody asked him after this huge rally that had, had, had taken place and just, Literally, I want to say it was maybe thousands of people, but definitely hundreds had come to the altar. And they asked him, so how does that feel? Isn't that amazing? You know, and they're asking these questions. And he's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe We'll see in six months, maybe a year, what really happened down here at the altar. If there was an authentic salvation that took place. Because it's easy to follow the crowds, isn't it? It's easy to maybe be caught up in the moment, in the emotion of it, and kind of go down and you say a prayer. It's beyond that. There's, there has to be a true conviction and a recognition that we are sinful. And I think too many of us are, are writing off the fact that, you know, I'm not a bad person, so I, I can almost obtain some holiness on my own. That we don't reek of sin. Conviction of sin has to come first. First. Conviction of sin is what makes Jesus' death real for you and for me and for a power instead of simply another religious theory. It's understanding our place and our position that creates a genuine, authentic conversion to Jesus Christ versus just, I want to be a part of this church or this religion because eh, it gives me something to do. And there's too many people today that are playing church instead of being the church. There are too many people out there that have gotten into this this ebb and flow of what I'm supposed to do, what it's supposed to look like. I'm supposed to float in on a Sunday and float back out and just go in and out each time and never change. We as a church are called to be holy before a holy God. That means there is no room for sin, even an ounce of it. And the only person and the only way that we can come to that place is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and for us to respond and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need you and I need your grace and I need the work of the cross to change my life. Why? Because I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on me so that I can go out into the world and do exactly what I'm reading here and share the gospel with boldness, but it never comes because we're not willing to give up the small sins in our life and it's choking us out as a church. It's like carbon monoxide and it just silently just begins to choke out all the breath and all the life. You know what's wrong with the church in America today? There's no life. The Spirit of God has left the building. The Spirit of God was there probably at one point. But once the church begins to become comfortable with sin, and like, yeah, I'm living pretty good. We're doing all right. We like to get together. And this is why the gospel isn't going forward. I know that I'm convicted in the sense of, you know, God, where... I read this, and where is the passion, where's the hunger, where's the fire, and even in my life to get out and share the good news when I see somebody that I know is destined and bound for hell that are dying and they need to hear the good news, but yet I'm okay because I'm in a hurry, and I need to get my groceries and get out the store because I've got things to do. Much more important things than sharing with somebody or pausing for a moment to pray with them or to speak life into their situation. I just I I get angry with myself. I'm going to speak for myself. I'm not happy with the place that I'm in. Because I know that God has called me to to do more, to be sensitive, and I know that as I look at that cross, I know that there is power in that to take away the sin that again, sins that that I can just and again, you reason it in your mind that it's just like it's not a big oh, but God is calling us to more, isn't He? Can you... I just I just stand in awe, and I, I read things like this from Acts: three thousand people, like seriously, three thousand people coming to Christ like that in a moment. Can I get personal here for a minute? When was the last time somebody got saved in this church? I, I don't know, you know. And I think I think that question would, I think a lot of churches are like, I don't know. And I'm not saying that. That's not a criticism. it's not. I'm just. I'm asking God, why, why? You know. I mean, here you have. I'll take. I'll take 10%. Give me 300. Right. Give me 30. Give me three. Give me three. Right? This is some of what God is like stirring in me right now. And, and, and I'm praying about and, and how do And how do we become the church? How do we be the church? The church, again, I love it when we go outside. Why? Because the church has left the building. We are the church. This is a building. We meet in a building. Is that clear? <laughs> and God is calling us, church, to be the church today. But we cannot do it without the power of his Holy Spirit. we to close today, I want to read a, a quote here from John Stott, if you've ever read. He's a great theologian, and I want to just read something that he wrote about this passage here. He says, here then is a fourfold message. He said, two events, Christ's death and resurrection, as attested by two witnesses, prophets and apostles. So, again, you can't have one without the other. There's Christ's death and resurrection, and, and it's, there's witnesses here involved. And he goes on to say, on the basis of which God makes two promises, forgiveness and the Spirit. And I think so many of us today stop at forgiveness, and we've lost the sweetness of the Holy Spirit and being full of the Holy Spirit. full of the holy spirit before do you remember maybe it was when you first said yes to jesus you first were saved and how excited you were and how like your life changed you know if you had that moment it was amazing right but what happened (laughs) what happened forgiveness in the spirit are the two promises and on two conditions which is what repentance and faith with baptism He goes on, we have no liberty to amputate this apostolic gospel by proclaiming the cross without the resurrection or referring to the New Testament, but not the old or offering forgiveness without the spirit or demanding faith without repentance. There is a wholeness about the biblical gospel. Church, we've got to get on our knees before God. And we have to get back to a place of repentance—repentance repentance of sin, repentance of complacency—and listen. I—I've been overseas for a while. I come back, and we just—we have so many things here that that can take our time and attention. And, and there's there's a lot of good things. <laughs> We're just so blessed. And we have all this stuff and we have all these resources and all these means and we can just become so comfortable and complacent that you know, I'm so busy with all my good stuff that I've got no time for, for God. But there's good news today. Let me finish with this. There's good news today. Much like the prodigal son, much like we see just so often we're where, where God is, is, is always in pursuit. You know, and he's just looking for us to recognize and just to make that small turn and he, he will come running. Just like the prodigal son's father ran to meet him. God is looking for that in our hearts today. There's hope for us today. The story, the last page of the story hasn't been written today. And so there's good news for the church today. The church is not done. And I promise you this, if, as long as I'm pastor here at this church, we will continue to press in and strive to be the church that you read about in this passage of Scripture today. A church that is on the move, a church that is alive, that is active. And when people walk through that door, they come through that door with expectancy to meet God and to, to have things happen in their life that changes them forever. Most importantly, that they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to see people giving their lives to Jesus. And I hope, I really hope you'll pray about as we move outside. There's something about moving outside this building. We're a little more visible, but people that would have a hard time walking through that door, and this would be kind of intimidating. We're just out in the lawn under some trees and some comfor- comfortable chairs. And I promise you this: you bring them to those services, I promise you that they'll hear the good news of the gospel. I know that's Pastor Tony's heart as well. The good news of the gospel, but it's not just on us, <laughs> you all can lead people to Christ too. You know that, right? You know, y'all, right? Sorry, going a little south on you. We're called to be the church, but you bow your heads. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. I thank you for this time today, Lord. I thank you for God, these wonderful people both here watching online. God, I thank you that you have spoken through your word today. But God, I pray. I pray, Lord, with everything that's within me, let it not stop with hearing a good message or a stirring message where where we feel something or sense something, but, God, we don't follow through with action. God, help us through your spirit, God, to be drawn to a place of repentance. God, that we would be drawn to a place of brokenness. God, as we see, Lord, that there's so much more that we could do. God, if we would just surrender our lives to you fully. That's all you're asking. That's really what faith is all about, is surrender. And God, would you use us by your grace? Would you use us, Lord, as a church to reach the lost, to toe the line, Lord God, and to stand boldly, much as we saw Peter standing, Lord, and to boldly proclaim, Lord, the truth that is the word of God. Let us not bow or bend, Lord God, to, to cultural trends, Lord God, but let us stay true to what it is that you called us to. Lord, let us be true to the word. God, help us, Lord, to truly be the light in a dark, dark world. And God, give us the boldness to stand regardless of what may come. And at the end of it all, may we be faithful faithful to you faithful to your word and God help us Lord to be empowered by your spirit for we cannot do it on our own but it is only through your gracious pouring out of the spirit of God the comforter God we pray today I hope that you would hear our prayers today and that again our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us thank you Lord for loving us even when we're unlovable God, we thank you, Lord, for being faithful when we are unfaithful over and over again. But God, we are so grateful that you are so amazing and so loving in Jesus' name.